Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 73 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of April 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 5. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. To the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and of course we have... Uh read this passage a few times now, again as we continue in our series, but this time looking at the glorious church of Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word beginning in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submitting yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Father, we thank you again today for this wonderful privilege that we have to be in your house with our brothers and sisters in Christ Thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings that have already been ours. But now as we turn our attention for these next moments into your word, we do pray, Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts because, Father, you're the only one here this morning that knows the hearts of each person here. You know the needs. You know exactly what they are, whether it be for salvation or restoration, whether it be for encouragement or strengthening. Lord, whatever it might be, we pray that you would meet those needs as only you can. Lord, that each and every one of us, Lord, that our hearts and minds, Lord, would be looking to you for you to do that which only you can do in our lives. Help us to be responsive to that which you have for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. This, of course, is our fifth sermon in the series on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. We began in the first instance of trying to define a New Testament church and what it was. And we looked at those Bible words and tried to gain some important things from what those words themselves teach us and tell us. And of course, then as we moved on from that word, we looked at our own statement of faith and what we say as a church that we believe on and practice. And then went on as we begin, first of all, we said in defining 
the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, defining what a New Testament church really is. We said we're going to break that into two areas that we did. First of all, look at what I call the prospective church. We looked at some of those terms, the universal church, the universal invisible church, and all of these things, and we talked about a lot of those terms. We discussed just what it was, and of course, we said in the term itself that we do not hold to the fact that there is some invisible body. We don't hold to that at all. We do hold to the fact that there is a church, capital C, the church, if you will, universal. We warned that with that term, you have to be so careful because there are so many people that mean so many different things by it. But we tried to break down what we mean when we discuss that one true body. The word ecclesia itself, that called out assembly, the body of Christ that will be called out of here. At the rapture, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he calls all of those out of here, and they will be assembled together for the first time in the sky at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way that you can be part of that calling out, and that is when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, you do not want to be left behind. We find that many people have their names on church rolls here that will not be present at the calling out of that one true church, the church universal. You see, the church universal is not something that has any accountability or any authority in the day that you and I live. The day that you and I live, we need to make sure that our name is on the Lamb's book of life that we will be called. You see, it's never the term in itself is never an ecclesia until they are called out and assembled together. And that's why we call it a church, a prospective church, a church in prospect. Yes, it's now that we get our names on the book, but we will not be a called out assembly and assembled together until our Lord returns for us. But then we began to move on from that prospective church to what we simply called the present church the local church, the visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those that were here Sunday before last, you know, people have a lot of different ideas about the local church. I gave the little humorous illustration of the dad that was talking to his young son and he noticed him back in the back of the sanctuary. He was looking at a plaque on the wall. And he asked his dad, said, said, Dad, what's this plaque all about that's hanging on the, the church wall here? And his dad replied to him, said, Son, that was put there in memory of those who have died in the service, those who have died giving their lives in service for their country. And it's there as a memorial to them. Those who died in the service. The little boy looked up at his dad and he said, was that the morning or the evening service? And I think, you know, seriously, that's what some people's idea of the local church is. It's just a, a boring place that people go that's already dead and that you'll probably die if you go there. Um, but folks, that's not what the local church should be. Uh, and it's sad that many people have that. And so we began to look in, in Scripture at what this present church was. We looked at that text that we sang about earlier in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, 
when Jesus was speaking in the future tense of a prospective church that was still future that he himself was building. Was that the universal body of Christ or was that the local body of Christ? I believe both. We look at the fact that in Acts chapter 4, we read, read there in verses 41 to 47, we saw that first church being assembled together for the first time. Some say that's where the church began. That's fine. I'm not going to fight with them. I don't believe it began there. I believe it began with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. It began with his laying the foundation of that church and the apostles that he called forth. That was the foundation that was laid. But it was there, folks, that for the first time, all that work that had gone on before, it was the first time that they were called out and assembled together. The first church was that one there in Jerusalem that was called out. And, and we see where that, that day there were 3,000 souls added into them. And we, we looked at a number of those things that, that took place there. I made comment of a couple of things that, you know, out of the 27 books of the New Testament, that nine of those are epistles, letters written specifically to local New Testament churches. There are seven others that letters were sent to, as we read the first, second, and third chapters of the book of Revelation, seven literal churches that were written those letters. We have the books of Timothy and the book of Titus which these young men were written specifically to because of their roles as overseers in that local New Testament church. We find that as we read through the other books, the ministries, the hearts of the apostles, they were to the local churches seeing them planted, seeing them organized, seeing them strengthened, seeing them edified, seeing them carry out the Lord's work. I say this, not of myself, but I have put forth the challenge and I would put it forth again today. Show me one thing in the New Testament that is done for the Lord, that is accomplished as His work, that is accomplished to bring glory and honor to Him, that is outside the local church. It's not there, folks. In our day, it is men and their plans and their ways that begin to do these things outside of God's order. Now, I mentioned to you, if you take all those books that were written to New Testament churches, those letters that were written to New Testament churches, those letters that were written to those men that were leaders in those churches, if we begin to look at all that the other books say about those churches, I could be here a long time preaching on the church, believe me. <laughs> but we're going to highlight. We're going to look at the, some of those things. And for the moment, we're trying to define. We have thus far tried to define what the prospective church, the church universal, that church, that one true body, that will be together at the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're attempting to define this local called out assembly. We began last week by looking at the first one and some of the things that we saw about it there. But I want us to move. And as we look at this, I think maybe the best way to define a point like this is to go to the word of God and use words that the Bible uses. 
to define the church. I'm going to give you three words this morning. Now, this is not everything that the Bible says about the church, but it's three words that the Bible uses in defining what a church is that I think if we can grasp those, we can begin to understand just what it's about. First of all, as we try to picture the church, I want you, first of all, to simply recognize that a church is believers. It is believers. Go back to Acts chapter 2 where we read that passage last week where we have the first church that was organized, the first church in the, in the New Testament there. In Acts chapter 2, notice what it said there, first of all, in verse 41. It says, then they, they who, that gladly received his word. They that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. Why were those 3,000 souls added? Because they believed, they received, they believed, and they were baptized. They became children of God. So in this first church that began with Jesus Christ and his apostles, here we have the apostles there. Peter's just preached a message to that first church, and they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that same day there were about 3,000 of them that were added into the church, those that received his word and were baptized. They were the ones that became part of that church. Notice in verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. Who was it that made up this church? All that believed. They were the ones that were together. They were this assembly. Remember, remember some try to play around with the words and all of this and and some would think that the word church would be better translated assembly. Remember when we tried to go back to the roots of those words, why was it translated church in our King James Bibles? Why do so many of the new translations translate it assembly? There was only three times in the New Testament that that word ecclesia was used, and it is translated assembly in your Bibles, and that's when it was a called out assembly that was a town group that was called out and, of course, that one for the purpose of running Paul and his companions out of town. But the word church, when you trace it back to its roots, it means the Lord's, something that belongs to the Lord. It's a possessive form of Lord. Why did the translators use the word church in 115 places and the word assembly in three places? Because it wasn't just any called out assembly. There was a called out assembly that was called out that was just the townspeople and it was called an assembly. But they used the word when they looked to translate it into our English language, they used the word church because it wasn't just any called out assembly. It was one that was in possession of the Lord. It was the Lord's called out assembly. Praise God. Well, the church, I don't think that was coincidence. Some people do. That's fine. They're still my brothers and sisters in the Lord if they're saved. But the thing is, is we're talking about the Lord's called out assembly. And the Lord's called out assembly is made up of believers. 
in verse 47 of that same passage, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Folks, we could look in so many places. It's vital. It's important. The church is not just any assembly, and it's not just any called-out assembly, and it's certainly not a social assembly. It's not an organization. It is a living organism. It is the Lord's called-out assembly. It belongs to him. And he describes it. It's not the brick and mortar. It's not the building. So many people, when they think of the church, they think of that structure that man has built. And man has built some wonderful structures. And we thank God for the structure that we've got here. But it's not this structure that's the church. It's not this structure around us that is Bethel Free Baptist Church. It is you, the people that have been born again and baptized, believers that have followed the Lord in believers' baptism. That's the way they became part of this New Testament church that the Lord Jesus Christ called out there in Jerusalem. And that's the way they become part of our church today. The first church, it was added to. It grew only as people believed and were baptized. The local church by its very name is that called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord's church. There's one way and one way only to belong to the Lord, and that's through faith. That's through belief. That's the only roadway there. Everything in Scripture that is written to the church is written to believers, not to lost people. No exception. We will see further when we look at some of the things like discipline and whatnot within the local church that even believers that are not living as they should but are living lives as non-believers, even they are excluded from the local church because of their testimony. And, of course, that ties in with the earlier statement that I made that really The local church should be a picture of the church universal of the one true body. What we see should be a picture of that that will be. That's not a prideful thing. That's not a holier-than-thou thing. We know that we're a lot of very imperfect people that make up a very imperfect church. But though we all, your pastor most of all, though we fail miserably, Perfection. Christ-likeness. Can we grasp that? To be like him in everything that we think, in every way that we act, in all that we do, to be like him. That's our goal. That's what we're shooting for. We shouldn't lay back and take excuse about the fact, well, you know, I just... Can't control it. Devil made me do it. My flesh is corrupt. Every time we fail him, it's by choice, a choice that we make. We're not made to sin. We choose to sin. Oh, yes, we have a sin nature. We're not going to do anything else. The reality of the matter is that in our all of our imperfection, 
our goal is to be like the one that lives within us. Only true believers can even begin to work towards that goal. And of course, that's maybe even clearer and more understood as we look at the second word in the Bible. Not only does the Bible use the word believers to describe the church, but he uses the word body to describe his church. Remember, I think I told you this maybe last week. I read a little thing that said there are four main bones in every organization. There's the wishbones, wishing somebody else would do something about that problem. There's the jaw bones. They're doing all the talking about everything else and everybody else but little else. <laughs> There's the knuckle bones. That's the ones that knock everything, no matter what's done or how it's done, uh, they're going to knock it. But thank God there's the backbones. That's those that carry the brunt of the load and do most of the work. And the reality is, is that, you know, every church will have those that are the backbone. But unfortunately, it's going to have some knuckle bones that are going to knock everything. It's got some jaw bones that all they want to do is talk and find fault in everybody else and, and everything else. And Wishbones, those that sit back wishing all these things but never actually do anything to get involved and commit themselves to it. You see, Jesus Christ is building his church. And the Bible tells us that that church, that church is not only made up of believers, but it is a body doesn't have all these different bones going every which direction doing their own things. That's all too true of too many churches, unfortunately. But thank God, the body of Christ is made up not only of bones and lots of different bones, but all the various parts that are needed. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, again, a familiar passage when we are looking at matters concerning the church. Notice what he says there beginning in verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, are these verses speaking about a local church? No question about it. First of all, they're being written to a local church at Rome. But notice what he says in the verses that follow from that. 
He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us for the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. I'm saying to you, he's writing about the local church and to the local church about being one body but all being different members of that one body and all having their differing gifts in that one body and all working together as one body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one being important, each one having their own part in that. And of course, we don't have time to read it this morning, but I guess one of the most well-known passages concerning this is when we look back in, into 1 Corinthians or over into 1 Corinthians, and we see, of course, chapters 12 and 13 and 14, all dealing there with the gifts to the local church, and there that same picture being drawn, a graphic illustration using the human body to illustrate how that the body of Christ itself should be working together in unity. And notice in verse 27, he says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular, each and every individual. You see, if Jesus Christ is building his church and when you become a believer, a child of God, then yes, your name is written on the Lamb's book of life and one day you'll be called out when that one true body is called out of here. But the first actions in the, in the New Testament is when a person becomes a believer, they follow the Lord in believer's baptism and become part of that visible assembly of God here and they're part of a body that is made up of all these different members with all their different gifts and everyone is vital and everyone is important and he goes to great detail to show us that in these chapters that we've looked at before in 1 Corinthians, you are important. Everybody's not an ear. Everybody's not an eyeball. We wouldn't make much of a body. Every part. I wonder today, is there some part of your body that you'd like to whack away and just not have? Is there some part that's not important? No, it takes it all. You realize just how important when you cut one little finger and then you got to do something. You break one little toe on that foot. <laughs> you feel it throughout your whole body. We find that everything has a function. And you see, that's the way that the Word of God describes us. Notice what he says back in the book of Ephesians, which we've read many passages from. But notice what he says there in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And notice what he says there beginning in verse 11, it says, and he gave some apostles, they were the foundation, weren't they? They were the ones that began the preaching, that brought about the believers, that were baptized, that became part of those very first churches. And some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ so that you could grow up and quit being a baby, so that you could mature as part of the body 
and functioning as part of that body for the work of the ministry, his ministry, not ours. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. We find that for the edifying of the body of Christ, that the body as a whole might be edified and strengthened and encouraged. He says, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He is our goal. He is our example. That's what we're all headed for. One day we will, each and every one of us, be just like him. That's part of what the the New Testament church is all about. That's part of what this body of Christ is all about. He puts us together. And he gives us spiritual leaders. And he works amongst us, each one, carrying forth their part of ministry. You see, you have a part to minister to others here today just as much as this pastor that's standing in the pulpit. We all have our role, our parts within the body. None of us are more important than the other. It's important that we're all working together in unity. We're finding here that the body can do what it's supposed to do, be the body of Christ with him as our head. We find that... He goes to great detail here to point out the importance. He says in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, you think, you think by the actions of so many today that there's no danger out there None of us really need to learn anything else. We've got it all down pat. (laughs) None of us really need to be at church. If we've got time, it's good. If there's nothing more important going on, then it'll fall on the list somewhere. But he's going to an awful great detail here to point out why he's given us this church, this body working together for the edifying of all that we can be sound and not be knocked about by all the stupid things that come down the pike. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that the body can grow into the head from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You see, God's plan, God's way, the way that he do things, he has a purpose. And it's not that just that we're some bunch of people that meet together so that we can enjoy tea and coffee and have a few chats and uh, maybe tell a few Bible stories, you know, and, and, and then go on our merry way. He goes to great detail to describe us as his church, as a body that's fitly joined together. And that body being the very body of Jesus Christ and him is our head. And in Colossians chapter 1, And in verse 18, it says, And he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he 
might have the preeminence. You see, the church is not about us being known by man and, and us being some well-known mega church and, and having somebody in the pulpit that everybody recognizes the name and knows the name. It's about us being the body with Jesus Christ as our head and him having the preeminence and Jesus being the one that they see and they know and they hear about because of us, not some man, not some program, but Jesus Christ himself. That's what the body is all about. All of these verses, all of these verses, they are being written as God's word to local churches describing them as a body, the very body of Christ, with Jesus Christ being the head. There are many other verses that we could look at, but the church as his body with each of us being individual members in particular, making up one body. We're reminded of the importance of the body, working together, the importance of each member. I ask you this. We'll come to a close because of the clock. I had so much more I'd like to give you today. <laughs> Listen, why does a body fall down so easily on ice or something? Have you ever, have you ever been out when it's really slippery and frozen and icy and and, and, and you're kind of walking gingerly because what happens sometimes? Why do people slip and fall down? Because one leg goes one way and one goes another way, you know. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not in step anymore. They're not going the same direction. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and sometimes you're trying to, uh, to catch that balance and, and, and you're slipping, you're sliding, and things are going different directions that, that you don't want them to. But what happens? You fall. <laughs> you fall. You see, that's what happens with the church, a body. Sometimes things might get kind of slippery. If we start going in all kinds of different directions, we will fall down just as surely as that human body falls because of that. Have you ever seen anybody with bad coordination? <laughs> what happens when somebody's got bad coordination? Well, all kinds of funny things can happen. <laughs> You know, sometimes like, you know, like in sports, I guess a lot of times, you know, it's, it becomes very obvious. You know, you're, you're in trouble if you're playing American baseball and you don't have good eye-to-hand contact. You're, you're probably going to get a baseball upside the head that uh, is going to knock you in the next week if you survive it. <laughs> it's important to have that coordination. That coordination is simply all the parts working together as they ought to. That's the only way that the task is going to be accomplished. And I'll ask you something else. I know it's pointed. How important is it that the body be clean? How important is the appearance of the body? You see, the truth is this. God nowhere in his word requires that we be what anybody else is. But folks, you know, physically, physically, uncleanness. Appearances tell us a lot about a person, whether it's immodesty, whether it's crudeness, whether it's harshness. You know, the attitudes, it's not just the clothes that people wear. It's vital, and it's vital with the body. And we'll see some more things as the reason of that, but... 
Now, this is the body of Christ. <laughs> it needs to be clean. When we allow sin to tarnish it, to make it dirty, not a good representation of the body of Christ. It's important. It's important that each of us, in our actions and in our appearance, that we remember who we are. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Have you ever seen one of those things that they're usually at these parks and things that you go to, and, you know, they've got these uh, big, usually wooden uh, things that are out there, and it might be a clown or a muscle man or a princess, and, and it's got a hole cut out, and, and, and you go and you stick your head through that hole. And so you got this, 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 this body of this great muscle man or something, and you got your head sticking in there. And a lot of times the kids have a lot of fun with those, and we get a lot of laughs out of them because most of the time when you stick that head in, your head is not in proportion to the body. <laughs> and it looks really strange and really weird when you see them together. I thought about that when I was reading these things, you know, I wonder when we try to picture Jesus Christ as the head of our local body of believers, I wonder if it would look like it fit or if it would look out of place. I wonder if it would look like it was supposed to or if it would make people laugh because it was such a misfit. You see, the Bible is going to great details to describe as a church. First of all, it's believers and believers only. And that's why that it says clearly in our statement of faith that to be a member of this church, you must be a born-again believer that has followed the Lord in believer's baptism because that's the New Testament way. And then we are a body. And that body is made up of all of its different members, but it's one body. And that body is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we're looking, going to look at a couple of other things that the Bible gives us as well, but we're going to leave it for there today. And I want to remind you, as I did week before last, of some specific things that I'm praying about as we go through this series. How many more sermons are you going to preach on the church? I don't know, as many as it takes. You know, we could stretch it out forever, and that's not my intention, but I think we're trying to look at the things that are vital and important and take our time to understand it. I told you that I pray that we can begin to grasp the real beauty and the real glory of the church for which Christ died, both the local church and the universal, if you would. They're both important. They both have their place. The title of our sermon, The Glorious Church, of Jesus Christ. I pray we can begin to grasp part of that real glory. I pray that we can begin to see the real importance of the church, first of all, to the Lord. He was willing to die for it. And maybe that will help to raise its importance in our lives. Because, folks, I'm just honest, it needs to be raised a lot. You say, but preacher, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. It's supposed to be important to you. Folks, I'm no more a part of the body than you are. You're a believer. We're all one body. No, it's because it's important to Jesus that it should be important to each of us. And I'm praying that we can understand and grasp that.
I'm praying that we can begin to see what a wonderful, glorious privilege that it is to be able to be part of a local assembly of, of, of believers and be a part of that body and be going forth together. What a privilege. And so many around the world, they can't meet even as we meet right here this morning. I pray that you, each and every one, will earnestly pray and open your heart to the Lord that as you do so, that you'll get excited about what part the Lord has for you in this local body that he's placed you in. God, if he's building it, if he's placed you here, he has a role apart for you. Have you found that? Do you know what it is that the body can function more like the body of Jesus Christ than it ever has? And I said, I'm also praying for this, that if you're not part of the church, First of all, if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you'll be part of that called-out assembly that's going to take place when Jesus Christ returns and sounds his trumpet, I pray with deep earnesty that you'll become a believer, that you'll have more than just religion and more than just maybe church membership, but that you'll know with absolute certainty that you belong to him and therefore you will be called out that as a Christian, if you're not a part of a local church for whatever reason, that you'll move swiftly to rectify that. That each and every one of us that the Lord wants, that he's building this church with, will be there fulfilling our part that he's placed us there with and be excited about what God's doing with us. That's my prayer. You see, folks, not just because I'm the pastor, but because of Jesus Christ. I believe there's greater things ahead for this church than it's ever seen that is possible, that greater things are ahead that has ever even been imagined. What he will do if he does his work through each and every one of us and he builds his church and we're all truly part of that body we're all fulfilling our role, our part. I don't think we can even begin to understand what the Lord can really do. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the time that you've given us together. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be a part of it. Yes, through the new birth, we can know that one day, will be called out in that one true body that's called out of here to be with him forevermore. Lord, right now, right now here in this place, that we can be a part of the body of Christ where you've placed us. Lord, that you can accomplish your work for the glory of Christ, that he's the one that will be seen through the body and the head. Lord, that you'll take and do what you desire so much to do through this place. Lord, please, if there be one here that's lost that doesn't know Jesus Christ, would you help them, Lord, to recognize that today and help them to do something about it? Help them to be willing, humble themselves, and seek that forgiveness that can only come through him. And, Lord, for every other Christian, you know their hearts. You know their needs. 
You know what needs to be done? I pray that we can leave here today more like our Savior and more excited about what you've got for us. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.